I think it was actually colder at Sundance this year than last year, Tuesday. Well... I thought it was going to be worse than it usually is because of all that, you know, polar vortex talk. But for the most part, I was happy. You know, I thought it was going to be like snowing and overcast the entire time. But we did get some refuge. I mean, it was definitely snowier. And but you just like the cold. You're a penguin. That's true. (laughs) I, for one, am glad to be back in our sunny Phoenix Valley. But the films this year that we saw were fantastic. Fantastic. Amazing. Every single one of them was pretty stellar. I, I feel like we really hit the ball out of the park with this one. Like, there wasn't anything particularly, like, bad. Yeah, there's usually every year, in my experience, like, a couple duds, but we really didn't have that. We just lucked out. Yeah. The theme, though, for this year's Sundance was all about risking independence. And this might have something to do with why all the films were so good. There was this really hard push for showing independent movies and getting back to what some would say is the festival's roots. And with the announcement of Robert Redford finally stepping down after this year, I I think getting back to its roots was definitely the way to go. But what made this year stand out for sure was the whiskey. Oh, without a doubt. I think it's safe to say that our coverage of Sundance this year was brought to you by High West Distillery. Unofficially, that is. But I mean, we certainly fueled ourselves with some outstanding samples. I mean, don't get us wrong. High West Distillery, if you're listening, feel free to reach out and partner with us. But (laughs) until then, she's Kaylee and I'm Tuesday. And you're listening to Whiskey and Popcorn's special coverage of the 2019 Sundance Film Festival. We started the festival by seeing a knockout documentary by the award-winning British filmmaker Ursula McFarlane. Her past work includes One Deadly Weekend in America, which is a feature documentary tracking gun violence over one weekend. She also did Captive, and then there's this upcoming I, Sniper. She's just won awards after awards, has been nominated, so she is a veteran feature documentary filmmaker. And this year is no different. She presented us with a no-punches-held-back look at the rise and fall of Harvey Weinstein in what she calls untouchable. Even though Harvey's notorious sexual predation is well-documented nowadays, McFarlane really takes the time to find some unique voices to fully take us through Harvey's entire career. We hear from former co-workers, both male and female, actresses, uh, models who claim to be his victims, and we even hear from journalists who covered him during the heyday of Miramax. Untouchable is a classic documentary in that it has very sharp, insightful interviews, sleek cinematography and editing, and just a really riveting storyline. And I think, you know, one thing you always have to keep in mind when reviewing documentaries, or this is what I keep in mind, is how well the story is actually told. As with any real-life story, it is easy to get stuck in the details because there's always going to be more than what you can fit comfortably into two hours. Something is going to have to give. But McFarlane, like we said, she knows what she's doing, 
And she was just able to get the pacing of this story, getting all the proper characters, new characters in many ways, because I feel like when this story broke, it was a lot of high-profile actresses. She found people that, you know, haven't really spoken before or haven't gotten a lot of coverage before. And it was just good, good storytelling. Yeah. So we start in the beginning, and we actually get a glimpse of Harvey's childhood. We learn that he was actually just a really normal kid. He didn't grow up in a, in a bad, abusive childhood situation. He had the usual insecurities. He was self-conscious about his looks, things like that. He was perhaps a little nerdy in some ways, but all in all, a very average kid. And then we hear how he got his start by working. It sounds like he was doing essentially PR for musical acts coming through upstate New York. And from there, he and his brother springboard into movies and start Miramax. But it's clear very early on in his career, even in like his music promotion days, that Harvey is addicted to power and success and uses all of that as tools to abuse people. He regularly exudes this like larger than life personality, even in the early days. And that can be anything from screaming matches with his staff to actually throwing office supplies at them. And don't get me wrong, it's very much a story about Weinstein and his rise to power and then ultimate destruction. But all in all, it actually tells the story of how a man in this kind of power position can get away with what he did for so long. You know, there are times when it could have stopped multiple times, but either his brother paid off female staff to stay quiet or the whole Miramax team basically would threaten people and say, you know, you'll never work in this town again if you choose to go public with this, etc. And it's it's just a, a look of absolute power destroying absolutely. Yeah, I think what really stood out to me in this documentary is Hearing from the men who worked with Harvey, particularly in the early Miramax days when things were just great, (laughs) they were flying high. I mean, they were incredibly successful managing to pick up films that just won awards, won awards. It's almost like they found the magic secret sauce to picking up the movies that critics would like, that the public would like. And taking those critics out for dinners and vacations and... Totally old school Hollywood schmoozing and boozing with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting to hear from the men who worked around Harvey um, higher up and, like, get their perspective on what was going on at that time. Because I feel like, and rightly so to this point, it's been very much the female voices and the victims. And that's very important and that's what we need. But I have always said I am waiting for the next wave of this Me Too movement where it's going to be all the men in these industries speaking out of abuses that have happened to them, sexual or otherwise. And so, like you said, there's the one employee who said, I think it was a marble ashtray Mm -hmm. that Harvey picked up and just chucked at him because he was going ballistic. And I'm like, that's abuse right there. Mm -hmm. That's physical abuse, violence, the bullying but it's also, you know, these these men who also worked with him, there were those who didn't experience that. And they heard rumors, but they just didn't really, you know, there were rumors, right? Uh-huh. Why would I look into this? Nobody really dug around. And it, I think it really highlights a time and place of the 90s when things were just on full throttle uh-huh. <laughs> in every industry in every way. And... 
people just got away with a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. I'm really glad you bring up the men because by no means were they safe in this situation either. Mm-mm. I mean, you could just say Weinstein was just a mean dude, but I enjoy that you highlight that because really no one was safe around him in any situation, whether, you know, they're out on the town and, you know, he has some very interesting uh interactions with journalists and things like that where I mean I would be very much scared for my safety had I been you know out on the town or at a bar scene where he's getting drunk and he's one of those angry drunks and you just you know oh it's just how Harvey is and just hearing that so often in the documentary was well that was just how he was yeah and you're like is this like when, you know, a kid's like, no, that's my dad just gets angry and hits me. And you're like, oh, my God, these people were abused. And they literally just took it because it was him and his brother and they were the key people. And so they got away with it. And it's it's jarring. It's just that whole mentality of, oh, this is just how things are. And it's like it's I'm glad these sort of old institutions are being questioned now uh, people's behaviors being questioned because like this is not acceptable no. at all at all and then of course you know we do hear from some of the victims who accuse him of for one woman uh, actual rape mm-hmm. another um it was gross he was masturbating while he like held her neck up against in the bathroom sink um and she couldn't get away and you know, just terrifying, terrifying things. And I know a lot of this stuff has been revealed in, like, the New York Times article, um, the New Yorker. There's so much that's been coming out now. But to actually see and hear these victims tell Mm -hmm. their stories is so much more impactful than reading it. And it's not the Gwyneth Paltrow's. It's really these people who just had chance encounters with him or was trying to get into a movie and that's what you had to do is you had to earn your keep and sleep with Harvey to get into a movie and that that was just so normalized it's terrifying yeah it, it, that's what's so scary is how normal it was to even the people being interviewed it was well you have to make your dues and it horrible like and like if you didn't you know you did like the walk of shame down the back scary stairwell I remember the one of the actresses she is visually impaired essentially has like night blindness and tunnel vision and they made her go down this dark stairwell she couldn't see it was like walking into a black hole essentially is how she sort of described it but she's like I I wasn't gonna do what Harvey was asking me to do but it's terrible threats and then of course talking about those journalists Uh how he had investigators following them, tailing them. One of them, I think he said he had to move and change his address and his phone numbers because he was getting threatened by these people. It's scary stuff. And they do go into detail about these undercover agents that are clearly high-ranking, you know, kind of help out the president when something's an issue and just how in-depth they would try to hurt people who did want to speak out to the point where you would have to move or... You know, they would destroy your credit or I mean, there it was just this even if you had the, I guess, audacity to go against him, your life could really be absolutely destroyed. I know there, there's just the stories are almost fantastical and yet it's real life and amazing, amazing documentary. It's it's definitely 
not easy to watch, but so riveting. Yes, and very timely. She couldn't have done this, you know, at a, at a better time and premiered it in the right place. So, uh, you know, we definitely recommend it, it has gotten picked up. I'm not sure by who, um, but you will be seeing it in the future. And even if you think you know everything about the cases, it is just tapping the surface compared to this documentary. So definitely keep Untouchable on your radars. Uh, we'll definitely give a shout out once it becomes more widely released as well. And to, to wrap this up, I, I know we've been doing our fun thing about picking out drinks that we would pair with movies. And it's hard to make a joke about some all of this and think about what you would drink to it. Um, it, it was, I was kind of reluctant to do so because I was so pissed off. I'm like, I just need rage juice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to say we're going to drink to systematic sexual abuse of a specific industry. But um, I think we're going to go with angry. Yeah, angry, but also vindication. So uh, I did some Googling and I found something that I think will work. OK. Um, it's called Justice Served. Ooh, <laughs> nice. And um, it actually sounds delicious. I haven't tried it, but I might actually make it at home. It's a uh, ginger beer, preferably an alcoholic kind. Fernet, which is an Italian bitter. Mm. Um, apparently really popular in Argentina. So I had to look that one up. Mm, okay. <laughs> and then you put an orange wedge on there, maybe a little bit of orange peel to garnish. But it sounds fabulous. Well, I'm still on the angry boat. So I am going to go with angry balls. <laughs> it's a... Angry Orchard crisp apple cider, and then just a big fat shot of fireball dumped in there. Oh my gosh, that sounds super intense. It sounds Uh, like it'll clear your sinuses. (laughs) Best name ever, though. Yep. Oh, yep. I, I, when I found that, I was like, yep, that's it. That's it. Stay tuned for more Sundance reviews. And to make sure you don't miss one, be sure to subscribe. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud, so no excuses. And don't worry, we're covering more films that we're reviewing in podcast form. And you can see that on our website, whiskeyandpopcorn.org. And as always, make sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you at the movies. 